listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want to jump in uh, today with you guys. By the way, if you haven't taken a minute to share the broadcast, please take a minute to share it. What I'm going to teach this morning is about as vital a message as you could ever teach. It's about as vital of a message as anybody could ever teach, and I wasn't being sarcastic uh, in the title of the broadcast. There is one thing that you have to believe about Jesus, otherwise you truly are doomed. And uh, sadly, let me say this, there are Christians who do not believe what we're going to teach today about Jesus. I say Christians, I use the term lightly. But there are Christians, there are believers, that call themselves believers anyway, that Do not believe what I'm going to teach you today from the Word of God about Jesus Christ. It's dangerous. It's heretical. And um, I want to show it to you because it's important that we believe this as strongly as we believe anything about Christianity. This right here, this everything hangs on this, what I'm going to show you today. And uh, we're going to talk about it. Jesus, obviously without having to mention, the, the most central character of our lives. He is not, I mean, Christianity is not a hobby. It's not a part-time job. It's something that we are 24-7. But understand this. And by the way, if you have your Bible and you're taking notes, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It's where we're going to start today. Now, I'm going to show you something that one of the things that's been blowing my mind I say Christians don't believe this. There are pastors right now. This is controversial. There are pastors right now that literally are teaching against what I'm getting ready to show you today about Jesus. It blow, pastors of mega churches, mega churches are teaching against what I'm getting ready to show you right now. Uh, and it's, it's mind-blowing. So those of you that are watching live, do me a favor and pop these scripture references into the comments section so that those watching later can just follow along with us uh, as we go through the word of God. Um, We're going to start in John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read you a selection of verses here. So John 1, 1 is where we're starting today. And uh, I hope you see something that helps you that you've never seen before. Check this out. Uh, Let's start reading verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning was the word. If you have a Bible worth its salt, not some weird paraphrase of the Bible, you'll see that the word is capitalized there because it's not speaking about just a word that came out of God's mouth. It's speaking about a person. In the beginning was the word, speaking of a person, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You see that? So stop right there. Not only was the word with God, The word was God. He was in the beginning, verse 2, with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. 
Look at verses four and five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, let's jump down to verse 14 and talk about this because this is so, so vital to your Christian life. Verse 14, catch this. And the word... I'm sure you know by now, as we've been talking about the word, we're talking about Jesus Christ. He is the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Oh, hallelujah. Full of grace and truth. So I want you to write this in the comments section to start the day. Catch this with me. Jesus is the word made flesh. I want you to start right there. Jesus is the word made flesh. He was God in a human body. <laughs> That's, that right there, everything hangs on that. Everything hangs on that. You've got to catch this truth from the Word of God. This is orthodox doctrine. He was God in a flesh body. Jesus is the Word made flesh. So understand, I say it a different way here. It was God in a flesh body. Now there are Christians, there are preachers that are teaching that Jesus never claimed to be God. Literally, you've got pastors of mega churches that are teaching their congregations that Jesus never claimed that he was God. I mean, literally, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a massive problem in doctrine. And I'm gonna explain to you why today and why we should so strongly believe and stand on the truth that Jesus was God in the flesh, must, you must. You've got pastors like Andy Stanley of a mega church in Georgia that, are, that is teaching and telling people that Jesus never claimed to be God. What a lie. That's actually a demonic thought. That's a demonic thought. You know, that's what Muslims believe about Jesus. If you don't know that, Muslims believe Jesus existed. You know, if you read the Quran, Muslims believe Jesus existed. And furthermore, Muslims believe Jesus was a prophet. <laughs> you, did you know that? Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. Not only that, they believe that Jesus will return again and affirm Muhammad and Allah as God. Muslims believe that Jesus is not God just a good man, a teacher, a prophet. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that Jesus was just a good man. The Bible does not teach that Jesus was just a great teacher. The Bible doesn't teach that he was just a prophet of God, although he was all, the, all three of those things. He was a perfect man. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet. But he was God in a flesh body. Hallelujah. He was God in a flesh body. Makes all the difference. What you believe 
makes all the difference. And this is taught in scripture. I tweeted something yesterday and we're going to go through it. Five things that I want you to see uh, in the word of God. Well, you know, I got into a, a, a um, conversation with a preacher recently on, on Twitter and, and he said this to me. He said, you know, Jesus never tried to prove his divinity or that he was God to people that didn't already believe it. That was the statement he made. I want you to think about that for a minute. This minister said, Jesus never tried or attempted to prove he was God to those that didn't already believe it. Well, that's not true. If you read scripture, the Bible says, if you go one chapter over from where we are to John chapter two, the Bible says this as Jesus began working miracles. Look at John two and verse 23. This is the gospel of John, chapter two, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. One thing that you've got to realize is that Jesus' signs and wonders, his healing miracles, that that was the proof he was using that he was the Son of God or the Messiah. That was the proof. Well, how do I know that? Because when John's disciples came to Jesus, they asked him a question. They said, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one? Or are we waiting for somebody else to come? Jesus' answer is very, very interesting. He said this, go back and tell John the things that you've seen and heard. Then what does he point to? The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. He starts pointing at his healing miracles as the proof that he was God, that he was the Messiah. Interesting. Same thing we're seeing here in John 2. People that didn't believe he was God or believe on his name began to believe on his name when they saw the signs and wonders that he performed. So Jesus was actually, in fact, let's go to, I know I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but just to make this point, go to the 10th chapter of John, John chapter 10. This is an interesting passage. He said this. Now the Jews, by the way, are getting ready to try to kill Jesus because he made himself equal with God. And they considered it the most vile form of blasphemy that you could ever utter out of your mouth, that you've put yourself in a place of equality with God. Jesus did that. I'll show it to you. John chapter 10, and let's start reading in verse 22. Check this out. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, talking about the Messiah, the anointed one, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. 
the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So he's saying the same thing here. Haven't you seen all my miracles? The miracles bear witness of me. Don't you understand the things I'm doing prove that I'm the anointed one, that I'm the Messiah? Verse 26. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Now, hold on a second. He's saying stuff that only God could say. No man can give somebody eternal life. He's saying it. I give them eternal life. And they'll never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now look at this. This right here ticked them off to the nth degree. Verse 30. I and the Father are one. One and the same. I and the Father are one. And look at verse 31, their reaction. You know why this was their reaction? Because they knew exactly what he was saying. I am God in the flesh. You're looking at God. I'm, I'm one with God. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him to death. And look at his answer. Jesus answered, well, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of the works are you going to stone me? Now look what they say. Uh, we're not stoning you for any good work that you've done, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, see here was their revelation. You're just a man. Make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. If he called them gods to the, those whom the word of God came and scripture can't be broken, do you say of him whom the father has consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? Now look, here's the proof once again. If I'm not doing the works of my father, don't believe me. Just don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know that and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Catch this now. He said, listen, you may not believe me by just me saying that I'm the Son of God, but he said, what you can't deny is the miracles that I'm performing. How can you, def how can you literally uh, disbelieve what you're seeing in front of your face? Miracles, signs, wonders. It's the proof. You know, by the way, this is how I know that the devil can't heal anybody. This is how I know. You know, there's been people that have said, well, that healing stuff's not for today. If you go to a church where you see healing happening, it's a deception of the devil. Oh, really? Because if the devil could heal people, my father years ago wrote a book called Can the Devil Heal? Because you've got nut jobs in certain denominations teaching a cessationist theology that the Holy Ghost is still not doing today what he did in the days of Jesus and that healing ceased and miracles ceased and all that. And so when they see it happening, they say that's the devil doing that as a deception. But then they'll say, well, if somebody's sick, maybe God put it on them to teach them a lesson. <laughs> and my dad said they've got the devil healing people and God making them sick. They've switched the roles of God and the devil. The devil's the one that makes you sick. He's the one that comes to steal and kill and destroy. Christ said, I am come that they may have life, have it more abundantly. And if the devil 
Morning, Ted and Ashley. If the devil could duplicate healing miracles, signs and wonders like this, it could not have been proof that Jesus could use to prove he was God. Oh, man. Put it in the comments. If the devil can heal, then healing is not proof Jesus was God. That's an important point for you to catch. What's he telling these people? He said, I'm doing, if you don't believe me, believe the works that you'll know that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. John 10, 30 is so important. I and the Father are one. He is God in the flesh. No question. He is God in the flesh. There's my friend, Pastor Ryan McDowell. Love you. And so I want you to see this. Five things in the word, real quickly, that we can see. Jesus never rebuked people for claiming he was God. Never rebuked people for it. You'd think if he was really a good man and he wasn't God, then if somebody tried to attribute divinity to him, he would have rebuked them. Don't put yourself like the angels do. Do you know all through the Bible we have record of angels deflecting worship? The Bible says in the book of Revelation, John fell down before the angels. He said, get up. Don't bow before us and worship only God. Whoo. You see that? Get up. Angels can't receive worship. They're not God. Bible says we serve a jealous God. He wants all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. And so angels can't receive worship. We see them in the Bible. Don't bow down before us. Don't worship us. Worship only God. Jesus, one of the, one of the ways you know that Jesus was God, not just his miracles, that while he was on the earth, he received worship. People worshiped him, and he did not stop them from worshiping him. You know why? It was right that they worship him because he was God in a flesh body. Oh, hallelujah. So see this with me. First of all, we're back in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter 1. And by the way, the whole Bible, Old Testament to New, is inspired by God. In fact, the real phrase in the Greek language is breathed out by God. Or the most technical term, God breathed. This whole Bible is God breathed. Every last word. So whether you read something in the Old Testament or the New, it came out of the mouth of God. Say, so, well, you know, people are so funny because they're like, well, I just study the words in red because that's what Jesus said. Let me tell you something. Jesus said it all. He said it all. He's the Word, and he was made flesh. Everything that's in this book came out of the mouth of God and is the Word, which is Christ. Everything. Genesis, Jesus said it. Exodus, Jesus said it. Leviticus, through the whole Bible, it came out of the mouth of God. Well, I only read the words of Jesus because that's, that's what, what Christianity... No. Everything Paul wrote came out of the mouth of God. You understand? So it's all God's word. So when I read to you what John the Baptist said, John the Baptist was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and inspired by God to say it and it be recorded for us to read later. Notice, John the Baptist 
is at the Jordan River, and he's uh, baptizing and teaching. And uh, it's very interesting because he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm preparing the way for the Messiah. And I love this because as he was teaching by the Jordan River, look at verse 29. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day after John the Baptist was teaching, he saw Jesus, his cousin, coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, hallelujah. That's the Greek, Theonostos. Ryan McDowell, Pastor Ryan McDowell, put it in the comments. That Greek language, that's two words pushed together. Theo, meaning God, and noustos, meaning the breath or the wind. Theonostos, it is God breathed. Do you know it's only used one time in all of the New Testament? Just one time. And it's to describe the written word of God, Theonostos. So catch this. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now right there, as John the Baptist spoke, you know what he was doing? Recognizing Jesus as God. He just recognized Jesus as God. Nobody can take away the sins of the world except for God. John 1, 29. Only God can take away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist gave that or attributed that ability to Jesus Christ himself. And do you know what's more interesting than that? Jesus did not rebuke him for claiming that he was God. Didn't rebuke him. You know why? He was God. <laughs> he was God. Number two, not only did John the Baptist recognized Jesus as God. But number two, blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, outside of Jericho, recognized Jesus as God. How do I know? Well, you can put the reference in the comments. Mark 10, 47. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 47. Jesus is leaving Jericho with his disciples and the Bible says that there's crowds and crowds of people. And they're saying, here comes Jesus of Nazareth, his natural name. Here comes Jesus of Nazareth. You know, talking about like he was some carpenter out of Nazareth. Here comes Jesus of Nazareth. Here comes Je and blind Bartimaeus heard what they were saying. And he shouted out. He didn't shout Jesus of Nazareth. He shouted, Jesus, son of David, a name reserved for the Messiah. Oh, hallelujah. A name reserved for the Messiah. You know what he was saying? I'm calling out, not for a carpenter. I'm calling out for the Son of God. The only one that can make these eyes see again is the Messiah, the anointed one, God in the flesh. And notice, as everybody was saying, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus never stopped. He continued to leave the city, left, left, left. But the moment one man said, son of David, come on. Jesus stopped, turned around, 
and said, bring him to me. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the anointing on that. You know why? You know why Jesus had to do that? Because just by Bartimaeus calling him that, he was praising God. Because he was saying, I believe you are who you say you are. You are the son of God. You're God in the flesh. Jesus had to stop and bring Bartimaeus to himself because the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Glory to God. God inhabits the praises of his people. And he came and instantly healed the man for his praise and recognizing that he was God in the flesh. So Bartimaeus recognized Jesus as God and Jesus never rebuked him for calling him the son of David. Number three, Peter, Jesus' own disciple, he recognized Jesus as God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus is questioning him on purpose just to see where he's at. You know, Peter was in the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. Inner circle. These are the guys Jesus brought when he was wanting to raise the dead. Couldn't bring everybody. Guarantee you couldn't bring Thomas. <laughs> couldn't bring Judas. He brought Peter, James, John. Read Mark 5. They were there for the transfiguration on the mountain. That was his inner circle. So he's questioning Peter about his identity. Look at this. Matthew 16. And uh, let's, let's start reading with verse... Um, 13. Matthew 16, 13 through 16. Listen to this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you Say that I am. Now that's what this broadcast is about today because you have to answer the same question that they had to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Powerful question. Who do I say that Jesus is? Well, look at Peter's response. And the Bible says in verse 16, and Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And look at what Jesus said. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So catch this, recognizing Jesus as Lord, recognizing him as God is not something you can do in the natural realm. In fact, did you know the Bible teaches sinners, wicked people, all the things of God, the word, everything, it is foolishness unto them, the Bible says. They can't receive it. They're dead in their trespasses and in their sins. This is foolishness unto them, and they cannot see it, nor can they, uh, nor can they receive it. Amen. And the Bible says nobody can call Jesus Lord but by the Spirit of God. It takes a spiritual enlightenment 
and a spiritual change for any person to, to declare Jesus as Lord. Nobody can just do it. It's faith. It's by grace through faith. That's what salvation is. Peter said, you are the Christ. That's the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're blessed because flesh and blood didn't. You can read all the books you want to read and it still won't cause you to believe that until you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel, everything shifts, changes, and now you've got the ability by spiritual regeneration to believe Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing on that man. You better catch this today. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My father, which is in heaven. Peter recognized him as God. And Jesus didn't rebuke him. He said, actually, what you've got right there is a heavenly revelation. It's a heavenly revelation. Number four, catch this. Not only did Peter, Bartimaeus, John the Baptist, Jesus himself <laughs> recognized his own divinity. This is where I wanted to kind of get real quick because we got preachers telling people, well, you know, but Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be God. Oh, he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. I read it to you a moment ago. I and the Father are one. Let me give you another one. Matthew 16, 17, what he just finished saying to Peter. He said, not only do you say that I'm God, but let me tell you something. My Father revealed that to you. He didn't rebuke him. He said, that's right. That's a revelation from my Father. He affirmed Peter's belief. He told the Pharisees, I and the Father are one and the same. Look at this. I'll give you another one. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and look at verse 9. <laughs> the Bible says in verse 9 of John 14, Jesus said unto him, Have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? You don't know me? Look at this. Whoever has seen me has already seen the Father. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whoever has seen me has already seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who dwells in me does the works. Look what he said. This is a powerful verse, John 14, 9. If you've seen me, you've already seen the Father. It's like if anybody's ever been or, or watched baseball. In Boston, Massachusetts, there is a stadium called Fenway Park, where the Boston Red Sox play. And in the outfield, they have a portion of the outfield that is an extended wall that's called the Green Monster. It's very high. It would be the same as me saying, if you've seen the Red Sox outfield wall, you've seen the Green Monster. Same thing. They're one and the same. 
If you've seen the Red Sox outfield wall, you've seen the green monster. One and the same. Jesus is saying the exact same thing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because we are one and the same. Oh, hallelujah. People say, well, Jesus never tried to do that. Oh, he did it multiple times in Scripture. And they were ready to kill him for this. In a moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you why this is so deadly, this belief. I'm just setting you up because I want you to catch this with me today because if you don't see this, if you don't understand this, everything else does not work. It's short-circuited, totally short-circuited. So, so catch it now. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said to the Pharisees in John 10, I and the Father are one. We're one and the same. Hallelujah. They were ready to murder him for it. But his works proved that he was. His works proved that he was. That's why there was a great book, by the way, if you've never seen this book. It's a great apologetics book. And um, it was a book that was released um, by, um, I'm thinking of his son's name now, Sean McDowell. Who's Sean McDowell's dad again? You know what I'm talking about, the apologist? Is it? Josh McDowell. There's a great book by Josh McDowell um, talking about who Jesus was, and he investigated this, the claims that Jesus made. Remember that? Lord, liar, or lunatic was inside the book. And that's what he said. He said, if you understand the things Jesus claimed in the Bible, then there is no way to claim he was just a good man because he had to be one of three things because of his own claims. He either had to be Lord like he claimed he was or number two, he knew he wasn't the Lord but he tried to get everybody to believe he was so he was a liar. So you either have to believe he really truly was Lord of all or that number two, he was a liar and just trying to deceiving everyone into believing he was God. Or finally, you have to believe he was crazy, an insane person that really wasn't God, but thought he was because he was out of his mind. And that's what he was trying to get people to believe. So three things. Jesus was either Lord, he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. There's no way to believe he was just a good man. He had to be one of those three just by logical uh, process of elimination. And so catch this today. Not only did John the Baptist claim he was God, not only did Bartimaeus claim he was God, not only did um, uh, Peter claim he was God, Jesus claimed he was God. I'm gonna give you one that'll even shake you up further. Go to Luke chapter three. Luke chapter three. Not only did Jesus claim he was God, but on three separate occasions, God spoke audibly from heaven and affirmed Jesus as God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, think about this. On three separate occasions, I'm going to read you one of them, but on three separate occasions in the Gospels, God speaks audibly so other people can hear and affirms Jesus as God. Listen to um, Luke chapter 3, verse 22. I'll start with 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, 
the heavens were opened. Verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God literally spoke from heaven in an audible voice upon Jesus' baptism and said, you are my son, so that everybody in the, in the surrounding region could hear it. You are my son. He didn't say it just to Jesus in his mind. No, he said it three separate times in the New Testament. You are, and he affirmed Christ. He affirmed Christ as his son, as the word made flesh that dwelt among us, as God in a human body. So if there was ever a doubt, as some people have tried to argue with me online, well, Jesus never tried to convince people that didn't already believe that he was God. Oh, he did. Did the Pharisees believe that he was God? No. Did he claim it to them? Yes. And then he said, if you still don't believe, check out my works and at least believe those. It's proof. And he already knew people, so he said, you won't believe me because you're not part of my sheep. But he still claimed it in front of them. He didn't just try to evade them and say, well, you know, that's the Pharisees. I don't want them knowing I'm God. No, he told them plainly, I'm one with the Father. I do the works of my Father. Check out the signs, wonders, and miracles that caused others to believe he was God in the flesh. Now let's get into why. Because this is vitally, vitally important today. That's why I call names because I want you to hear this. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm calling it out so that you understand. You know, when someone is influential, and it's okay that I'm saying this because I'm just telling you what he's publicly taught. When someone as influential as Andy Stanley says publicly in his church services that Jesus never claimed to be God, he is clearly violating scripture of what was plainly said by Jesus and plainly recognized by others in the New Testament. You think about the fact that people so vehemently believed this that they were really, for like for the first three centuries until the peace of the church, they were ready to be tortured and killed for one fact. Jesus, who is Lord, is alive. Think about that. They were willing to be cut in half, willing to be fed to wild animals, willing to be crucified, willing to be beheaded, willing to be boiled in oil for one fact, and their families and children. Jesus is alive, and he is God. All they had to do was reject that truth, and they could have lived. Do you know that kind of stuff still happening today? I just read on the Jerusalem Post on my Twitter feed not long ago that in Iraq, grown men burst into an old woman's home in Iraq who was a Christian, drug her out of her home, into the town square where everybody could see and gave her an ultimatum. You can either deny Christ and become a Muslim or you're dead today. And this elderly woman said, I refuse to deny Christ. And the men held torches to her body and burned her alive in the streets of Iraq. That kind of stuff is still happening today. And people were not willing, even in the first century. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 
I'm going to show you something that will blow your mind. People don't know this, but I'm going to show you something. The resurrection of Christ is an historical fact. It's not something we just believe on blind faith. I don't have to believe in the resurrection of Christ on blind faith. We've got historical record of it. <laughs> People don't know that. They think it's just something we have to come into Christianity and say, well, you know, I just, I'm blind. I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's just, we're just hoping. There's no, we know. Did you know that this Bible is not just God's word? It is one of the most accurate and most copied and readily available historical documents in the history of antiquity. It is the most prevalent document, the New Testament, in the history of antiquity. We have over close to now 7,000 manuscripts and fragments of the New Testament that have been discovered through archaeology. No other book from antiquity even comes close to that. Not even close. Not even close. In fact, I was listening, on, I was listening one time to a, a guy that wasn't even a Christian. He was just a historian. And a guy that was all mad about Christianity called into his show. And he was like, yeah, these Christians believe these, these letters, you know, written by Paul. We, anybody could have wrote these letters. I mean, they're a bunch of nut jobs. And the guy who's not even a Christian Says, says to the guy on the, on the phone, he says, sir, why would you, he said, we don't actually have any historical da data to disbelieve they were written by Paul. He said, we, we don't, he said, everything points to the fact they were written by Paul. He said that we don't have any reason to believe they weren't. He said that they, they all follow the same writing pattern. They claim to be written by Paul. People that carried them around and gave them from church to church, those that were copying them, affirmed that they were written by the Apostle Paul. There's not any historical reason to deny they were written by Paul. These are historical records, by the way. These, these right here, historical records, not just a holy book. And, and Paul makes this case. I want to show it to you. He's talking about the resurrection of Christ. Now, first of all, let me make this point. I, I tweeted this out not long ago. Any Christian who doesn't believe Jesus was God, first of all, if it's true that he wasn't God, then there are no Christians. You ever think about that? If Jesus truly wasn't God, there are no Christians. Because unless he was God, his death was meaningless. His burial was meaningless. His resurrection was meaningless. Because if he was just a natural man, he couldn't have cleansed us from our sins. There is no redemption. I mean, like, if you don't believe Jesus was God, you're not a Christian, and there are no Christians if it's true. Because his blood, here's why it's important to understand this. If he wasn't God, then his blood was not sinless. And if his blood wasn't sinless, then the shedding of his blood was not for and could not be for the remission of sins. I was listening to a well-known preacher not long ago. He believes, you know, as we, I did that broadcast not long ago that, you know, people believe Jesus died spiritually and went to hell and suffered and all that. It's not in the Bible. It's, it's heretical to believe that. But you know what? He made this comment, and I was like, what an idiot. I thought that internally. I didn't say it to anybody else. I thought, what an idiot. He said, 
if dying on a cross could forgive you of your sins, he said, then the two thieves next to him could have forgiven you of your sins because they died on a cross. I said, how can you be that smart of a person and that dumb in speech? Because you recognize it wasn't dying on a cross that forgave us of sins. It was the type of blood that was shed on the cross that was poured out for us. The, the, the thieves next to him couldn't have died for us. They had sinful blood. The reason Jesus was able to do it is because he was a perfect man who never sinned and was born free from sin by the Holy Ghost and the Virgin Mary. That's the reason. Not because he died on a cross. That's just the method he chose, that God chose to make it happen. It blows my mind. Anybody that died on a cross could have saved you from your sins. No, they couldn't. You genius, that's the point of him being born of a virgin and the seed being of the Holy Ghost to make him a perfect man with sinless blood. And Paul knew it. And look at what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said this to the church. Now, he said this, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Actually, let me go back because I want to show you something else first. Paul said, uh, let's start in verse 1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and catch this, this is after his resurrection. He appeared, or that he was buried, that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter, number one. After his resurrection, appeared to Peter. Then who? Then to the 12 disciples, number two, his resurrected body appeared to the 12 disciples. Look at this. Then he appeared. Verse six is so important historically. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, that's his followers, at one time, most of whom are still alive, yet some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So I want you to really catch what Paul's saying here. He's saying after his resurrection, he showed himself to over 500 people at one time. Do you recognize something with me? Even psychologists have admitted that it's impossible for a group of 500 people to have the exact same delusion at the exact same time. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So anybody that would say, well, they were, they were all deluded. They were so sad Jesus was gone that they were just imagining he was back. Even scientists are saying that's not possible. 500 people can't have the same delusion all at the same time. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is a historical record. What's Paul say? 500 people saw his resurrected body at once 
and many of you are still alive. I'm speaking to you, though some have died. Do you know that you can go through the history of antiquity? We don't have writings from people that said, well, no, I was there in the group, and uh, what Paul said was false. You know, I was in that 500, and, you know, Jesus never did appear to us. There's not any historical record of anybody writing and calling Paul's declaration here a lie. In fact, not only do they not call it a lie, what I just said to you a moment ago, they were willing to be tortured and killed for that one fact. Think about that for a minute. They were willing to be tortured and killed to say, no, he is alive. We saw him with our own eyes. He's back from the dead. He's not dead. He's alive. Listen, if you're backing up a lie, you, nobody's going to die for what they know to be a lie. When it comes down to it, people, especially family, that's got little kids and a wife, and they capture you and say, oh, you holding up a lie? We're going to torture you and kill you until you tell the truth. And you hold out. Not only knowing you'll never see your children again, you'll never see your wife again, but then most likely that when they're done killing you, they're going to go kill your wife, and then they're going to go kill your little children. Nobody is going to be tortured and killed for what they know to be a lie. They can't hold up some big hoax just to show you how funny this is that people would think that. Just think about what happens when like teenage drug dealers get arrested and then the cops separate them into two interrogation rooms and start getting their story back and forth and then start playing them against each other. You know, he's going he's gonna to fold on you, man. This guy's going to give you up. And when he gives you up, you're the one that's going to go to jail and he cooperated. And so he's going to get off and you're going to go to jail. You better tell me something. And when they're lying to the cops, we weren't there. We didn't sell the drugs. How quickly do those guys flip on each other? Just at the, threat and, at, at the threat of jail time, not torture, not being killed, just jail time. They flip so quickly on a lie so they can stay out of jail. These people weren't going to jail. These people were going to be tortured and killed. You know, every one of them said, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is raised from the dead and he's coming back soon. Every one of them. It's demonic to believe that Jesus is not the Son of God, that Jesus is not God in the flesh. It's demonic to believe that. In fact, every person that's watching right now, I want you to put this in the comments section. Jesus is God in the flesh. Put it in the comments. It's so vital. I mean, you couldn't have a more important thought than this. In Christianity, there is none. This is the foundation, in case you didn't know. And you know what's interesting? That's it, Christina. That's it, Kelly. Put it in the comments. Jesus is God in the flesh. Do you know what's interesting? One of the things that's truly interesting is our religion, Christianity, it's not a complex religion. It's not a complex religion. If you think about it, did you know that we only have to have one belief and we only have to obey two commands? Think about that. That's how simple God made Christianity. Think about it. That's how simple God made Christianity. One belief, obey two commands. What's the one belief? 
If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Think about that. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. One belief. One belief that the risen Lord, he's alive. And only two commands. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> That's how simple Christianity is. Now, there's theology. There's things we believe about certain things. But in order to be a Christian, that's it. That's it. You don't even have to know the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? Because if you'll do the two things that Jesus commanded, you won't break any of the Ten Commandments. It's not that they're not wrong anymore. They're still wrong. But if you love somebody, you won't steal from them. If you love somebody, you won't slander them. If you love somebody, you won't kill them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So follow two commands and have one belief. That's how simple that Christianity is. God didn't make it hard. He made it easy. Jesus even said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are there any weary among you? Any heavy laden? Come unto me and I will give you rest. Glory to God. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's absolutely it. My yoke is easy. And so he didn't make Christianity hard, made it easy. One belief, obey two commands. And you, all the law and the prophets and the writings all rest upon that one thing. To live for God. Hallelujah. And to understand Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. Let me correct Tracy just real quick. Jesus is not the Father in the flesh. He's not the Father in the flesh. We do believe in the Trinity. We're not Jesus-only people. He is the Word. Catch, remember what we started with, John chapter 1. He was in the beginning with God. You see, we still believe in the three manifestations of God, three persons of the Trinity. Jehovah, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is just a term, by the way. It's not a name. His name's not God. God the Father, his name is Jehovah. Jesus is the Son and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Now look at this. Because there's people who say, well, you know, the Bible says our, our God is one God. Well, I believe they're one. I believe they're one. But I want you to see something with me that the Bible says. And I listen, I truly understand those that I have many friends that came in that out of that movement where they only believe there's Jesus only. Jesus is all there is. And when you think, well, maybe he manifests himself in three different ways, but it's just one person. Well, if that's the case, Catch what the Bible says, 1 John chapter 5 uh, and verse 7. In fact, I'll, I'll go to verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify. You see that? The Spirit and the water and the blood 
and these three agree. There are three that testify in heaven. Three. So understand something. There are separate persons. For example, who was Jesus talking to when he was praying? You know, if, if God left heaven and there was no God in heaven, who was Jesus praying to? Who was speaking down to him while he was being baptized? You see, who anointed him with the Holy Ghost? Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. And he went about doing good and healing all. So understand this. There are three persons, three distinct and individual persons, but they operate as one God. One God. And the Trinity is one of the hardest things people have ever had to wrap their mind around. But what's interesting, I heard Pastor Mark Hankins say this one time. I thought, that's great. I put it in Twitter, I think, yesterday and Instagram. He said this, God, and I want you guys to write it in the comments because it actually is very interesting to think about. And I'll read you the scripture that Paul wrote to Timothy. Listen to this. Put this, what Pastor Mark Hankins said, I love this. He said, there is God loved man, this is what he said, God loved man so much that he put one in the Trinity. I love that. God loved man so much that he put one in the Trinity. (laughs) Glory to God. Put it in the comments. God loved man so much that he put one in the Trinity. That stirs me up, man. That stirs me up. Oh, hallelujah. I'll show it to you real quick. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. So that doesn't sound right. Yeah. God loved man so much that he put one in the Trinity. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Peter 2, 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. The man, Christ Jesus. I love that Paul wrote it that way by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's one mediator between God and men. It is the man. Christ Jesus. God loved man so much that he put one in the Trinity. The man, Christ Jesus. What I'm telling you today, and understand this, we serve such a powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. He was the Word made flesh that dwelt among us. That anything that he did, he said, I can't speak anything unless the Father, I hear the Father say it first. I can do nothing unless I see the Father do it. Notice, he didn't speak on his own accord, didn't speak his own desires. He said what he heard the Father say, and he was God in the flesh. He claimed it, men claimed it, he proved it by miracles. He is God. And this is why I say people are doomed if they don't come to this understanding. If you don't have a belief, you know, one of the things that really bothers me in 2020, it's one of the reasons God impressed us to launch Miracle Word University and teach the doctrines of the church from a Pentecostal perspective. Because 
People don't know what they believe. And it matters what you believe. Write that in the comments. If you're listening on the podcast, just say it out loud. It matters what you believe. (laughs) It matters what you believe. Write it in the comments and never forget it. It matters greatly. It matters greatly what you believe. It does. And not only does it matter what you believe, it matters that you know what you believe. And furthermore, it matters that you can explain to someone else what you believe. It's like I'm doing with you on this broadcast today. I'm explaining to you why Jesus is God in the flesh. It matters what you believe, but it matters that you can explain what you believe to somebody else. Let me just say this. If you can't, you cannot obey the command of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 and listen to verse 15. He said this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So Peter commanded believers, you can't just know what you believe, you have to be able to explain what you believe to somebody who's got a question about what your faith is all about. That's why people are being torn away. It's like this guy, by the way, who just left the faith. He was the lead singer of uh, Hawk Nelson, Christian band. He was the lead singer of Hawk Nelson. Many of you may know that band. And let me tell you something. He left Christianity because of the fact he had questions that his pastor couldn't answer. Well, shame on the pastor, number one. How are you a man of God and can't answer basic questions about Christianity? He said, I was just never satisfied with the answers I got. And so literally, think about this, walked away from the faith because he didn't understand what he believes. And this is one of the most demonic things that is hit through the seeker-sensitive movement of the church is that we have had entertainment to actually take the place of doctrinal teaching in the church. It's demonic. It's a trick of the devil to create a generation of believers who are so weak in the faith that they can be taken out at any time. It matters what you believe. It matters that you can explain what you believe to people who need to hear the truth. And I mean, that's, I know, Christina, it's so sad, so very sad that you have people that are leaving the faith because their pastors have never taught them doctrinal truths that they can stand on and truly believe. That's why, let me tell you something. I'm encouraging, if you've never checked out Miracle Word University, you should check it out. Because we're adding, we're going to be adding even more courses by the end of this year. We've got we've got things coming up. But we've got four. We've got twenty hours of teaching live in the uh, in the school right now, and we've made it so extremely affordable for people. I mean, each course is only sixty nine dollars, and you get five hours of teaching. 
Then we did something special for you guys because we love you so much. We bundled all four together and gave you one for free for $199. You can get 20 hours of teaching on the Holy Spirit and his baptism, answered prayer, what holds prayers back from being answered, how God will answer your prayers, types of prayer, mountain-moving faith, how to move God with your faith, what the Bible says about faith, and divine healing, how to walk in healing, how to minister healing to somebody else, what's, what are roadblocks to healing, all these things. We made it available and made it so cheap. You know, we used to have guys come through our church be like, we want you to join our online Bible school. It's only $2,000, like $2,000. You know, who's got the ability to just drop a hat and drop two grand on, on online Bible school? We made it purposely. I'm not there to make money off of that. If you think that my source of income is people signing up for Miracle Word University, it's there to be a blessing to you. It just covers the cost of the things we do. And so let me tell you something. It's there as a resource for Pentecostals to know what they believe, to become strong in those beliefs, and be able to walk at them and explain them. If, you've, if you're just watching you've never seen it, go to MiracleWordU.com, the letter U. I'll actually put it in the comments for those of you that are watching. Got the trusty iPad right next to me just to help me with it. MiracleWordU.com and the stupid iPad wants to correct my website. Don't you dare correct my website. Boom, there it is. For everybody watching, Periscope, YouTube, Facebook, there's the, there's the link. MiracleWordU.com. Go check it out. Check out what it's all about. Read the courses. Read the modules in each course. You'll see. We're giving you so much content. It'll f- Let me, this is one of the greatest testimonials I ever heard from somebody. They said, do you know that I've been in church for 20 years and I took that course you did on the Holy Spirit, I'm hearing things I've never heard in church in my entire life. Well, you know why? Doctrine's not being preached anymore. Is that we've got, and I'm not against series. Trust me, I love series. I love topical teaching. I love things that guide us through, you know, step-by-step in topic. But understand something, that it can't be all we do. Let me tell you what else I like. I like tiramisu and ice cream. But it can't be the only meal I eat or I'm hurting. Got to have some vegetables. Got to have some protein. Got to have some healthy fat. Can't just eat dessert all the time. Pastor Jordan. <laughs> and so I want to encourage you. It's, it's for you. It's there for you. And it'll bless you. And it will take you from where you are and equip you for what God's called you to do and who he's called you to be. I don't care. It doesn't matter if you're a full-time ministry gift or not. You could be a mechanic. You could be a computer technician. You could be a janitor. But if you're a believer, you've got to know these things. You've got to be able to minister. You know, let me tell you, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest things I I ever uh, heard, last night at the altar, a gentleman here at the church gave me a testimony. He grinds hay for a living. He said, you know, God's used me behind the grinder for all these years to win souls to Jesus. He said, I had a guy that came up to me and we were working. He was feeding me the hay and I was grinding it. And he was an old guy. He said, I'd never go to church. He said, but yeah, you know, what if you're wrong? You know, Jesus is coming. What if, you, what if you're wrong about it and he comes and you're not ready uh, to see him? He said, wouldn't it be better to just get your life right with God? And the man says to him, feeding the hay, he says, well, yeah, it would be better. Tell me, Paul, what, what do I have to do to be saved? And Paul, behind the grinder, 
is now sharing the gospel with this man on the side of the loader. And right there on the farm leads him to Christ. And then he told us last night, it wasn't a few months later, the man died and went into eternity. From there, think about it. He didn't have time to bring him to a church. He didn't wait for a revival to sweep through town. He did the work of the ministry behind the hay grinder. And as the man was loading the hay and he was grinding the hay, he led him to Jesus Christ. And as he led him to Christ, he just snatched that man's life from the jaws of hell. And for eternity, that man will be in heaven because there was a faithful man in Montana named Paul who was grinding hay, but at the same time winning the lost. Every one of us. It's called marketplace ministry. Wherever we are, we are called to do the work of the ministry, to do the work of an evangelist. And we can't do it without being equipped. We can't be equipped without knowing what the Bible says and knowing what we believe. I'm going to actually pray here at the end of this broadcast for people that God would give you. I know people say to me like, well, I don't really like to read. I don't really like to study. It's not my thing. I don't really... I'm going to pray that whether you don't like reading novels or whether you don't re like reading books or going to the library or ebooks or whatever, that God would give you such a hunger to devour his word that it would transform you into a different kind of person. This is fuel for victory every day. And so I want to pray right now at the end of this broadcast that God would set a new fire into every person's heart to go after his word, to devour it and ingest it and be set on fire by it. Father, I pray right now for every person that's watching me and those listening on the podcast that you would put within their belly a supernatural hunger and desire to read your word, to ingest it into their spirit, to be empowered by it, to be quickened by it, to allow the sword of your word, like Hebrews says, to come in and cut out of our lives things that don't belong in our lives, to come out and do a supernatural surgery and remove what's destroying us from our flesh. And I pray, Lord, that you'll also use it to add into us the things that you've planned for us to have, the blessings, the equipment, the power that you've planned for us to have, the joy, the healing in Jesus' mighty name. I pray that today. Your word declares blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let these last few months of this year be filling months, harvest months. Set us on fire and hunger to learn come into our spirit from this day. And let us understand not only what we believe, but give us a supernatural ability to share it with other people, to explain what the word of God says. Make us mighty soul winners in Jesus' name. We thank you. We give you glory. We give you praise. If you believe it, throw some fire in the comments section. Let me know you're standing with me. This is going to be your season of harvest. It's going to be your season of reaping. It's going to be your season of a new hunger from the Holy Ghost for the Word of God. Amen. Put it in the comments. Throw me some fire. Let me know you're with me. And let me encourage you, those of you that are watching, I'm going to give you an opportunity. We're here in revival in Montana. God's moving. We just finished in Ohio. Now we're in Montana. Next week we'll be in Indiana. Week after that we'll be in Ohio. Week after that we'll be in Massachusetts. I'm telling you, God's moving all over this nation. We're giving you an opportunity to sow into revival. And so we're going to give you an opportunity to sow that seed right now on the broadcast. 
And it's very easy to do. Carol and I are believing God for partnership. People that will stand with us at at least $85 a month or more, $1,000 a year or more, to see this gospel preached and revival facilitated around the world. You're a part of that. And so it's very easy to do. Just go to miracleword.com. Miracleword.com. And when you click on that give page, you can even set up an account and adjust the frequency of your giving and the amount of your giving and partner with us. Stand with us. Maybe you say, well, I can't really do $85 a month yet, but I could start at $50 a month. I could start at 30. Whatever the Lord has given you in your spirit to do, obey him and watch what God will do. If you're in the United States, you can use Cash App or Venmo. Our username is MWGive. You see it on your screen, MWGive. You can use PayPal as well. Or if you're in the comments section on Facebook, Twitter, or Periscope, you can put hashtag donate right in the comments and sow a seed directly from the comments. There's my friend Glenn Karam. Love you, buddy. Love you guys. Britt, good to see you. But you can do it right in the comments using hashtag donate if you'd like to sow that way. And then finally, uh, if you'd like to mail a check, if you're one of those types of people that you love to write a check and mail it, our mailing address is at the footer of every page of our website. You can find it there. P.O. Box 65116, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23467. It's on the footer of every page of the website if you need it to mail a check and let the post office handle it for about five to six weeks. Finally, it'll arrive in our post office box. We'll take it down to the bank, who will then take another week to process it, and the funds will finally, after close to two months, be available for the work of the kingdom of God. Uh, We're thankful for the post office and still can't understand how they're not out of business. But... That's how it rolls. That's what you get from government subsidy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Anyway, thank you for so much. For every person that's going to stand with us this month, the month of September, at $85 a month or more, we're going to be sending this powerful book by our pastor, Bishop Rick Thomas, Speak to the Void. It's a powerful, powerful book that he wrote about the power of your words and declaration speaking into chaotic situations, and bringing order through the power of your spoken word that lines up with God's word. It's our, it's our gift to you for this month, and also anybody sewing largely, $1,000 or more. On top of that, we're going to send you a limited edition hardcover of Further Faster, our newest book, and the Genuine Leather Life Application Study Bible, the New Living Translation. It'll be a blessing to you, man. It's one of the greatest study tools on the market right now, show you so much as you're studying. I was using it, by the way, on the plane on the way up. I was telling Pastor, I actually went through the book of Jonah and uh, verse by verse and read all the commentary, all the history, all the background, all the geography, looking through the maps, understanding God's desires. Went through that. I went through Dake's notes. It's just awesome to go deep on uh, the Word of God. Then I went through the uh, New English Translation translator's notes on the book of Jonah. Supernatural stuff you're picking up just through these notes on the commentary. It's awesome. It's a great tool. I love you guys. Now listen, tonight we're continuing the revival, Monday night, and uh, East Coast time, I believe we're going live right around 9 p.m. 9 p.m. East Coast time. If you're in Central, we're going to be live at 8. And of course here, what are we in, Mountain Time, Pastor Jordan? Mountain Time, 7 o'clock live. And then of course, if you're on the West Coast, Lynn Ann Lakeham, 
It's going to be live at 6 p.m. So we love you guys. If you're watching from Africa, you know the deal. <laughs> in Africa, it's going to be a little bit later. It's going to be about 3 a.m. in the morning. Wherever you're at Central African time, if you're in the U.K., about 2 in the morning. But stay up with us. It's fun. Amen. Give you a great day at work the next day. <laughs> we love you guys, man. Thank you for hanging today. We appreciate you. We love you. I'll be back again tonight and in the morning, every day this week, 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time. Or excuse me, Eastern Time. It's 8.30 a.m. Mountain Time. So same time, same bat time, same bat channel. I love you guys. Have a great day. I'll talk to you again tonight. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.